blaspheme, and his face shining brighter than the sun. And I want to sustain this kind of attitude of prayer because I believe that us here today need to see God in ways we've never seen him before. So go with me to Matthew 17. And Rachel, I appreciate you being up here. You're so awesome. Let's give it up for Rachel and the band. Aren't they beautiful? They do so good. They're such a great job. Look at Matthew 17, verse 1. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. The first thing that I want you to notice here is that Jesus does have favorites. If you get into your mind that we're all equally going to get the same rewards and the same experiences because we're all equally children of God, you're missing a lot of the Bible. The Bible actually teaches us that we will be judged according to our own works. So the Bible does talk about those getting rewarded more and others being rewarded less. So you've got to have that in your mind. And God does have favorites. But listen, everybody can be one of God's favorites. You can be one of God's favorites by obeying him and wanting to be with him. The reason why Peter, James, and John were picked is because they had a special attention to Jesus' commands and a heart for him, and they were always drawn out as the leaders. They were ahead of the class. So there is going to be people ahead of the class in this church, and there will be people ahead of the class when the judgment comes. Some will be rulers, others will be janitors. Nothing against janitors. I'm just saying that not everybody gets the same crown. Not everybody gets the same reward. And so if you're thinking to yourself, I know just as much as Joe does because I come to church for two hours once a week and go to a life group, you have no idea what you're talking about. If you want to know as much as I know, then do what I did to learn it. There's no... uh, There's no ceiling here, in other words, because you're a male or a female or because of a certain background of culture you come from or level of education or finances. You can determine how close you want to be with God, how much you want to know about God, and then here's the key, be obedient to God to do what he's asked you to do. So it's not like because I went to Bible college, that means now that I'm better at Christianity than you. Because if I'm not applying what God has given me for my life, and you are, and you may be a stay-at-home mom, you are greater in the kingdom, and heaven's rewards will show that on Judgment Day. Can I get an amen for that? So you have to understand there are favorites And not everybody here gets the same reward on Judgment Day. If you have not been a soul winner, you're not going to get a soul winner's reward on Judgment Day. If you have not been holy and obedient to Christ in your life, you're not going to see that represented in a jewel or a crown on Judgment Day. So everybody get this. Three are taken with Jesus. Nine are left behind. So as we as a church go and have encounters with God, do you want to be with Jesus and the three, or do you want to be left behind? Because I can't force you to come to these altars. I can't force you to go to life groups. I can't force you to be a disciple, but I can set the example and use them as your standard. And so whether or not you go with Jesus to new heights with Peter, James, and John, or with Berto, Griselda, and Jose, and Christina, whether or not you go to new heights with them is up to you. 
And that doesn't just stop because now I'm a pastor. Like, oh, Jesus, you're, a, you know, you're taking Joe on the mountain. He's, he's a pastor. That's easy. No, because among pastors now in this city, I have a choice to whether or not I want to run after the crowd or if I want to run after Jesus. And if I run after Jesus, I'm going to be one of Jesus' favorites in this city. And what we see in this church, you won't see in every other church. Now, do I think we're the only one? No, it wasn't just Peter. It wasn't just James. It wasn't just John. I don't think we're the only great church, but I think that I'm a part of a remnant, a three, as it were, of those who are going to new places with Jesus. That's why I don't know about you guys, but when I hear about the most cutting-edge things around the world, I can point to what God's already doing in this church. When I hear about what's going on in Africa, when I hear about what's going on, I can go, yeah, that's already starting to happen here, man. God's starting to do that here. When I see these worship groups coming out like Worship You and uh, Upper Room and a lot of these young groups coming out, I'm like, man, that seems to be what God is doing here. I don't look at their worship and get so jelly that I go, oh, man, I wish I was at that church. I go, no, 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 they need to come visit what we're doing here, and we need to get some videos out so they can start worshiping to our songs too. When I start hearing from the greatest minds like William Lane Craig and others and I hear what they're on and how they're talking about evangelism and I just saw two of my heroes, Dr. James White and Dr. Jason Lyle, go to a park and do public evangelism. One is a Greek scholar, the other one's an astrophysicist and they're out preaching among the people the best. It's not like we send the lamest to the streets like, oh, you have nothing to do, you're young, just go hand out flyers. Like, no, the best, our best stand on the corners and preach the gospel because the Father send his best to preach on those dusty streets of Galilee and Nazareth. Are you listening? So when I look around the world and I see what God is doing, I can see it. I can see what God is doing here. And so I'm not jelly. If others are seeing things that I haven't seen, I go, God, uh, you know, whatever price they have paid, I don't know about. Whatever uh, things you have set up with them, I will trust you. I won't be jealous. But God, this is all I ask. Would you do it here? If you did it for others, would you do it here? If you've sent revival to Argentina, would you send it here? If you've sent revival to uh, these places in India where their churches are over 100,000, would you do it here, Jesus? After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Was Judas there? No. Was Bartholomew there? No. Come on. Was Thaddeus there? No. Peter, James, and John were there, the brother of James. So that means that the James that's there, uh, John that's there, he's the brother of James. So there's two brothers and Peter that are there. Even Andrew, Peter's brother, was not there. Okay? So, hey, if you don't want it, your brother's going to get it. Amen? If you don't want it, your sister will get it. If you don't want it, I'm going to get it. Hallelujah. Because I believe there's something special among the people of God. Some of you just want to kind of do the least you can and get to heaven. I want to do the most I can and be on earth. Because Enoch started doing so much, he got taken up. Amen? That's one way to look at it. God was like, you're up here all the time, Enoch. Why don't you just stay up here now? You know, that's a way to look at it. Then he was, or there he was, rather, transfigured before them. The word transfigured, metamorpho, we get the word metamorphosis. Think of a caterpillar to a butterfly. That's what it means. Then Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clouds became as white as the light. Praise God. Just then there appeared before him Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. 
Now remember, Matthew's gospel is written to a primarily Jewish audience. That's why he starts with the genealogies. He takes a lot of time to explain Jesus in his role of giving a new covenant, especially on the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. That's the Jewish law. But now I tell you, if you hate your brother, you curse out your brother, you're in danger of hell. And so if you are a Jew and you have just heard these first three verses, there is one character in one experience that's coming to your mind right now. That is Moses going to meet with God on the mountain. And the Bible says that God actually called all the Israelites to come meet with him face to face. But once the mountain started to shake and Moses went up there and his feet were revealed in the glory, they got so scared they thought they were going to die, they ran away and they said, Moses, you just talk to God for us. We don't want to talk to God. You go and talk to God. And so Moses went up into the mountain for 40 days, met with the pre-incarnate Son of God, Jesus, face to face, heard the Father's voice, and was covered in the glory of the Holy Spirit. There is the Trinity in the Old Testament. And the Jews who would be reading this or hearing this story from Matthew would go, man, that sounds just like Moses. And then all of a sudden we see Moses is there. Get it? Moses used to go up on a mountain to meet with Jesus as he would come from heaven. Now Jesus is on earth, and Moses has come from heaven to meet with Jesus. Did you guys get it? Jesus would come and meet with Moses on the mountain in the Old Testament. He would come from heaven to earth. Now Jesus is on earth, and Moses has come from heaven to meet with him. But we see there's something unique about this because after Moses had all of these experiences, he was then going to die and the people freaked out. And they said, who in the world is ever going to be like Moses who talked with God face to face? And Moses said on behalf of the Lord, he said, I'm going to raise up another prophet just like Moses. And so Muslims take this to mean Muhammad is that prophet just like Moses. And they pick out these real obscure things about Moses' life, and they compare it to Muhammad's life, and they go, see, Muhammad's like Moses. They say Muhammad married, Jesus didn't. Moses married, so Moses and Muhammad, they're alike because they had multiple wives. Jesus never married, so they can't be Jesus. And then they'll say, Moses was a warrior, he fought battles. They say, Muhammad fought battles, Jesus never fought battles. See, Muhammad, he's like Moses. He's the prophet that Moses prophesied about. But when you read the Old Testament prophecy, it has nothing to do with being polygamous and fighting battles. Otherwise, a whole lot of people would be like Moses according to that. There's been a lot of polygamous, battle-fighting people. And then they may say, oh, Moses got a law to rule the Israelites. Muhammad got the Sharia law to rule the world. See, that's like Moses. And we show them the prophecy. We go, Muhammad is nothing like Moses. Let me start off from the beginning of the prophecy. He said, one of your brethren will be raised up to be like Moses. The very first thing that the prophet will be is a Jew. Somebody say a Jew. Muhammad is not a Jew. He's disqualified. He can't even put in an application. 
Have you ever experienced that? You go to go to you know put an application. They say, hey, if you don't have a college degree or if you haven't studied in this, no need to even apply. Muhammad can't even apply. He doesn't even have the right pedigree and genealogy. The second thing is is that what Jesus was prophesying through Moses about a second prophet had nothing to do with marriage, had nothing to do with wars. It's very specific in the prophecy. I will raise up another prophet like Moses who I will speak to face to face. Did Muhammad ever speak to God face to face? Never. All he spoke to was this supposed angel of light. Did anybody else see the angel? Nope. He would go alone into a cave and say an angel would speak to him. Nobody would see that being. As a matter of fact, when you study out the life of Muhammad, that angel is more than likely the devil appearing as an angel of light because everything that angel taught him is what the devil believes. The angel taught him Jesus did not die on the cross, was not buried, did not raise again. That sounds like the devil to me. That angel taught him that Christians were not doing the right thing by worshiping Jesus. Sounds like the devil to me. That angel told him that he was to go and make war with the Jews and the Christians. Sounds like the devil to me. The Bible says in the last days, people will be deceived by deceiving spirits. But now let's see something about Jesus. Is Jesus the one that is like Moses? Well, go back to the Ten Commandments. Where is Moses? On a mountain. Where's the glory of God? All around him. Who is speaking? God. What is he seeing? Jesus' face. Now Jesus, the Son of God, is there. The cloud is around him in the Father's voice. Let's keep going. It says, there appeared before them Moses, Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So they wanted to be up there, like how Moses went on the mountain for 40 days. Let's put some tents. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. The father interrupts Peter's idea to go camping. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my this is my son, whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down, down to the ground, terrified. And then Jesus came and touched them and said, get up. He said, do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Let's just talk about this for a few moments. Jesus fulfills the prophecy to be a greater prophet than what even Moses was. Moses would meet face to face with God for certain time periods on a mountain that had the presence of the Lord. Now Jesus is there meeting with the Father in the presence of the Lord. And the Father doesn't say, he's just a prophet. He says, this is my son. You now get the understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus is the eternal son that has existed with the Father for eternity. He's been there in the Old Testament meeting with the saints, but he is now in the flesh for a purpose. Go back to Matthew chapter 1 and understand what Matthew is teaching us. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, as you're turning there, how many like good movies like Star Wars and the Avengers? Can I hear an amen if you like good movies? If you don't think those are good movies, we'll argue later, but how many like movies like the Avengers, like Star Wars? How many know there's always a buildup, and then once you think the problem is solved, it all goes crazy, 
And then the good guys have to fight some epic battle at the end and win it last minute. How many understand that kind of plot? Happens all the time. Guess what? They're copying off the Bible. How does the Bible start? She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. We start off right at the beginning like this cool backstory that he's going to come into Mary from heaven, and then he's going to die for us. Then he grows up, and we see him starting to teach. But what begins to happen? The haters start coming against him, the Jewish people, right? Now, right here at the story, Matthew chapter 17, we see the climax. Jesus shines in his glory. It is revealed to us. He is God with us. Because go to the next verse, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a what? A son. And they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So you see this backstory. You see it climaxing. And what do you hope will happen in Matthew 17? Jesus just rules and reigns. There it is. He came down. He's going to be our Savior. He reveals his glory. Everybody worships him. And there it is. No, but like any good story, what happens? The plot thickens. Because from this point on, instead of Jesus being worshipped, they all start to find ways to attack him and to bring him down. And how does the story end with him being crucified, abandoned by his friends? And it seems at that point, what just happened? He lost. And then like any good story, what happens at the last minute when you see the character die or the battle is lost? Something happens that you were not expecting. Either time is rewound or, or somebody jumps in that's from another universe or whatever. But what happens at the end of our story that flips the whole thing upside down? He rises from the dead. He rises from the dead and instantly conquers everything that was conquering him. And then you look back and you understand everything had a plot. Everything in the plot had a reason. So go back to the notes. Go back to Matthew 17. See if you're catching this here. The disciples see him in his glory. They see Moses and Elijah talking with him. Moses represents the law because he was given the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. That's how they spoke about the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets. So now Jesus, the Son of God who existed in all eternity, is in the flesh. The law and the prophets are there serving him, and his father says, this is my son, and he speaks to everybody, listen to him. Disciples freak out. Jesus touches them. They get their strength. They stand up. Now go to verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, tell everyone about this so that I can be worshipped and set up my kingdom on the earth. Is that what it says? It says, no, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Do you notice this? Jesus is telling them, I now have showed you who I really am. But don't you tell anybody. Why doesn't he want people to know? Keep going. It says in verse 10, the disciples asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Remember, that's Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. There's a prophecy that Elijah will come before the Son of Man comes. 
Jesus replied to them, to be sure, Elijah has come and will restore all things. But this is not about reincarnation. This is saying somebody just like Elijah is going to come and represent the kingdom. Watch this. But they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about who? John the Baptist, not reincarnated Elijah. We already learned about that in the previous chapter. These Jews believed in reincarnation. But no, Elijah was just there, and he wasn't called John the Baptist. Elijah and John the Baptist, two separate persons. But John the Baptist was the one prophesied that would be like Elijah and would come before the great day of the Lord. Go to Malachi chapter 4. i got to build this up. Otherwise, you think Jesus is just doing fireworks. How many believe there's a deeper meaning behind this other than Jesus just shining like a light bulb? Why is he doing this? I'm trying to explain it to you, and then I want you to interact with what you learned today, and I want to interact. Go to Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So is John the Baptist, Elijah, reincarnated? No. Everybody say no. The Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. But he's called an Elijah. He's called an Elijah. What does that mean? Is that his role as John the Baptist, John the Baptist's role, rather, as the forerunner, was to be like Elijah. Jesus is being like Moses. It's all coming together now. What was Moses like? Moses was a prophet that spoke face to face with God. What does the Son of God do? He speaks with his Father. Do you guys get that? Muhammad ran away to a cave. No one ever saw the angel. But Peter, James, and John saw Jesus and heard the Father's voice. You have these other cult leaders like Joseph Smith say, I saw God the Father and the Son, and I saw the angel Moroni, and they said all that. Nobody verifies it. Jesus has three people to verify him as the Son of God, the Father's voice, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is like Moses, a person of history experiencing God, and then John the Baptist was like Elijah preparing the way of the Lord. Moses is a type and shadow of Jesus. Elijah, a type and shadow of John the Baptist. When Jesus was on the mountain, who came to be with him? Moses and Elijah. This is powerful. And now here we get the understanding. If you go back to the notes, please. Is that we have, everybody get this, we have the only historical, reliable verifiable religion based on miracles. I'm going to explain it to you with a story. So my children love to preach the gospel like mom and dad. They always share their faith. They do it on their own. One day uh, this past week, Lucas, my seven-year-old, wanted to go out and preach the gospel to a young man at the park. Our park, our backyard bumps into the park, so we let him go out. We can watch him from the backyard. And he goes out there. He starts talking about Jesus, and he said to the young man, you know, do you worship Jesus? And the young man goes, no, I don't worship Jesus. And he goes, well, who do you worship? And he goes to my son, we worship a lot of different gods. My son didn't know what to do, so he runs back home. He comes home. 
And now he asked my mom, uh, his mom, my wife, what should he do? Right, Lucas? What do you tell somebody who says they worship a whole bunch of other gods? And so you have to understand this. Cultures, especially like Indian cultures, the Hindu religion, the far uh, Eastern religions like a Buddhism, and even in times past, like... Um, in Aztec culture, in Mayan culture, and in Roman culture, Greek culture, they would have multiple gods. But here's the thing about their gods. No one has seen them. No one has wrote about them in actual history. When you ask the Indian people, the Hindu people, have you ever had anybody testify of actually seeing Ganesh walk on the earth? Has anybody seen Zeus? Has anybody talked with Hercules, etc.? No. So I then told my son, I said, you go back and tell him, all your gods are make-believe. Jesus is real and he's alive. And he went back, right? And here's the deal. You might say, how dare you be mean to their religion? No, no, no. It's a point of fact. It is a point of fact. These disciples, you have to understand, are real people of history. Our Bible is written in history. People who do not even believe Jesus transfigured or was the Son of God believe he lived. Believed he taught, he did miracles, or at least they were attributed to him, and he was crucified. Those are the facts. Whether you're a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, etc., these are facts. Yet our religion, based in facts and history and accounts of Rome and Jewish history like Josephus and Pliny of Rome, etc., though we are in history with facts, we talk about miracles. And so now you have a choice to make. You either say this is a historical myth like they would say about Caesar. Caesar, he's a god among men. Caesar was born of a goddess. And even though you can look at Caesar and not really tell anything different, you are supposed to believe that kind of historical myth because that's who he is. You're just supposed to take it that way. Or you take it for an actual event. Now, how do we know? How do we know? that these people who we know were alive and were real and wrote letters were telling us the truth. Let's go to 2 Peter and take a look. After Jesus was crucified, buried, rose from the dead, the church starts. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes on Peter in Acts chapter 2. But he writes epistles. He writes letters to the churches. Look at what he talks about in Peter, 2 Peter, because there's two letters he writes. 2 Peter chapter 1 about his visitation he had right here. Look at what he writes, starting in verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were what? We were what? eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. There's the Father, Son, and Spirit again. The majestic glory is the Holy Spirit. The Father is speaking and Jesus is in the midst of it. Is it any wonder that Matthew has the transfiguration, Father speaking, Son in the glory cloud, the glory cloud being the Holy Spirit, and ends with baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Bible from front to back is Trinitarian. The Gospels are Trinitarian. The, the, the epistles are Trinitarian. We saw the Lord Jesus Christ. We heard the Father's voice and we felt the presence and saw the glory. 
saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Everybody get this. How was Peter killed? Peter was killed because he believed he saw a man transform into the very essence of God in front of him, and he was their Lord. And see, in Rome, Caesar was the only God-man, and for you to say you knew of a man that was also God puts you in direct conflict with them. And when these disciples, like Peter, were put on trial in the Roman government, they never said, we just made it up. Now, you know what? Metaphorically, we saw him change. They died just like their Lord and Savior under charges of blasphemy and under charges of sedition for introducing a God-man to their culture. And they never denied it. They said, we were eyewitnesses. Go to 1 John. Go to 1 John, the epistle of John. Remember, he's on that mountain as well. Why don't we have one from James? James died early on because the Jews thought he was blaspheming by him calling Jesus God, the God of Israel. We don't worship three gods, one God, and Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Where did Jesus come from? The beginning. Did he just come from Mary's womb? No, he pre-existed. That which was from the where? The beginning. We have heard. We have seen with our eyes. We have looked at and our hands have touched. This is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that which we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. Peter crucified upside down for saying, I saw him as God. John boiled alive and exiled, treated as a prisoner because I saw him as God. They knew him not only as a good man trying to be godly, but as God coming as man. Now watch this. Watch this right here. A lot of people missed who Jesus was because they thought Jesus was not going to die on the cross. What did they put above Jesus's, uh, you know, as a label above the cross? What title did they give him? King of the Jews. Why is this? Why did Judas betray him? Most scholars and historians say that it was actually with a pure motive that Judas tried to uh, betray him because what he was trying to do was to get Jesus to act out of his kingship and to destroy the Romans. And that some of the Jews who weren't sure whether or not he was the Messiah, they felt for sure if we hand him over to the Romans and they punch him and they beat him, then he'll show us his power. Because think about it, they weren't stupid. They actually saw the miracles. They saw what he was doing. They heard these amazing testimonies. They saw John the Baptist raised from the, uh, uh, rather Lazarus raised from the dead. And they had seen all of these things. And so one of the ideas of why they were so intent on betraying him and handing him to the Romans was so that after he gets slapped a bit, he gets whipped a bit, he's going to come out as God and then dominate the world. But what did they miss? Go back to the notes, please. 
the messianic secret. He said, don't you tell anybody who I am because I came to suffer. Everybody get this. Our king came to die as a servant. They only saw a king. They didn't see a lamb. They didn't see the lamb. Are you listening to me? And even though they were messed up, what does the Bible say? He even kissed Judas on the night of the betrayer when Judas kissed him rather. And he said, my friend, what are you doing? He still called Judas friend. And even after the the Romans crucified him, it said one cried out, truly you were the son of God. He was never against us the whole time even though we were crucifying him. He was always for us. Because now go back, go back to the Garden of Eden. Why were we created to begin with? We were created to be with God. Now think about this. When you look at the Garden of Eden, it's not really a great paradise to the way we think about paradise now. You talk to most people, what are you going to do when you die? What's going to happen? Oh, I'm going to go jet skiing. I'm going to play eternal basketball. Oh, I'm going to go fishing. You talk to them. They talk about these things they're going to do and all this. What did we have in the garden? Nothing. Nothing but God. You see, if you look at the garden as the way we look at what we do for our pets, really it was a terrarium. The earth is God's terrarium, which is different than an aquarium. Aquariums for water-based animals. A terrarium is for earth-based animals. The entire earth was just simply put here so that we would have a place in time and space to meet with God. That's all it was. It was just a place to be. We're looking at trees now. We're looking at gold. We're looking at fish. We're idolizing all of creation. And God said, that was just a terrarium. Because what was God's most important thing from the beginning? Him and us together as one. That was the purpose. And so all of the Old Testament is showing us how sinful we really were and why we need all of these laws and all of the kingdoms of Israel showing how sinful they were and all the power they got led to corruption and all the prophets are pointing out the sin. And then here God sends his son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting zoe, life restored of the God kind where God lives in you and you in God. And here now Jesus is there on that mountain and he is showing us, you want to see who I really am? You want to see me as the way Adam and Eve saw me when we would walk through the cool of the garden in the cool of the day? But here's the deal, everybody get it. But he's saying, you can't have me until I die for you because you are too sinful for me to dwell with. If he were to walk around with his glory, he would kill all of us by the splendor of his might. And so he veiled himself again to look just like us. And then he comes down this mountain and he says, guys, don't tell anybody what you've seen until after I do the work. And what was the purpose of the cross? To be restored again. To be brought back together again. And so now, look at this. This is why we're going to go into prayer. Because a lot of you want to kind of be sassy with Jesus and go, well, just show me who you are. Glow in front of me. Come into my bedroom. Show me a vision. And then I'll believe. 
I'm going through all these problems. I don't think you care about me. Take me up on the mountain like you did Peter, James, and John, and then I'll believe. And what God is saying to us through this private encounter is that he's not here to be your magician and to show off and to glow and to bring him to parties and go, Jesus, do that thing where you glow again. He's wanting us to trust him even when we don't see him. Because go back to Peter now. Go back to 2 Peter. Peter says, yeah, I was there. I saw him. I understand what happened. But go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. In that same context, after he talks about the experience of the sacred mountain, look at verse 19. Because Peter is anticipating that so many of us would say, man, I wish I was there. I wish I would have saw him. I wish I would get that kind of proof about who Jesus is. He says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He says, you feel you're in a dark place and you want Jesus to turn on his light and you want to know that he's with you? Read the scriptures and you will see the prophecies that are just as real as the vision we saw. Do you get it? Peter now says, The prophetic word is just as reliable as what he saw. Keep going. Verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you got your Bible, move quickly with me, but don't do it on the screen because I don't think you can keep up and I don't want you guys to get confused. But can I show you all of the prophecies we have in the Bible about Jesus so that you can be just as confident about Jesus in your times of struggle, in your times of darkness, you can experience just as much light of Christ as they did on that mountain? I said, can I show you that? And will you believe it's light to your darkened heart today or to your dark valley or to your situation? Because there are no differences between what they experience with Jesus face to face and what we get from the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because your eyes aren't the most important part of you. The most important part of you is your soul. I got some little amens there. Y'all don't believe this. Go to the end of the book, Matthew chapter 20. I got to build this up a little better, I guess. See, what they're still thinking is if my earthly eyes see it, then I'll never doubt it. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Because i got to show you why Peter was telling you, trust the scriptures just as much as we trust what our eyes and our hands touched. Look at the end of the book of Matthew. People who were there for Jesus' whole life, death, burial, and resurrection. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them. This is after the resurrection. Told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some what? Some did what? Some doubted even after all that. Didn't Peter deny him three times? Hold on, but I thought Peter was on the mountain. If I just have a mountaintop experience, I'll never doubt him. Peter did. Denied him three times. Hello, somebody. 
Who was only at the cross of Jesus Christ? John. So that means Peter was, he was gone. James, he was gone. Only one out of the three, out of the 12, out of the thousands was even there, even holding on for hope. What am I trying to tell you? Even if Jesus Christ were to appear and put on a light show for you right now, if you don't trust the scriptures, you will not know how to trust him in your dark times. You have got to get it in your heart. I have got to get it in my heart that the most reliable thing we have isn't just our experience because you could dream, you know, tomorrow you're flying, you know. You could have a whole bunch of different kinds of dreams and visions in life. The most reliable thing you have to hold on to in the midst of your trials is the words of God that he has spoken and that have been held on to throughout ages for all godly believers. Are you all ready now? Go to Matthew. Those who can keep up can. Otherwise, just keep up the notes, please. Matthew says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, he's going to take away his people's sins. That came from Zechariah chapter 3, verse 4. He said that his name would be called Emmanuel. That's from Isaiah 7, 14. He said that he would be a shepherd to his people and a ruler in Matthew 2, 6. That comes from Micah 5, 2. It says that someone will come and prepare the way, as we learned before, like Elijah, preparing the way of the Lord. That's in Matthew 3, verse 3. That came from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. It says that he will be a light not only to the Jewish people but to the Gentiles in Matthew 4, 15, and 16. But that comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. How many understand God has been speaking through every generation even though he hasn't been turning on a light? in every generation, walking around as God among men. Why did I want Rachel up here today? Because I feel like so many of us were waiting for that next experience to trust God, and he's teaching us from this narrative where they actually got that, that that's not what you need. Come on, go back up. I got to show it to you. What did the Father say? Go back up to the Father's words. This is my son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. How many know the Father already knew that? How many know Jesus already knew that? But that was for the disciples to hear. But what does it say? Listen to him. Listen. It doesn't say run after a conference so you can see Jesus glowing. It doesn't say run down the hill and tell all the disciples, look, we got to see Jesus glowing. We know he's God among men. He's God with us. No, it says, listen to him. Why is that so important? Because in every one of our trials, in every one of our tests, we need to listen to him. Come on, somebody. When you lose your job, listen to him. When your friends leave you, listen to him. When you broke, listen to him. When you get paid and forget about church, listen to him. When everything in the culture is upside down, listen to him. When you feel like giving up, listen to him. Listen to him because he's been speaking to his people. And that's where I can say, oh, I get exactly what they get. I may not see the vision the way they didn't have this encounter, but I have him speak to my heart just like he speaks to their heart. Because even though they had it for a moment, they still had doubts. They still made mistakes. And then after the resurrection, 
When the Holy Spirit came, they had to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. Even Peter couldn't say again, Jesus, you know, I'm doubting right here. Come down and glow again. Show me who you are. They're about ready to crucify me upside down. John couldn't say, hey, they're about ready to boil me alive. Could you please show yourself? They had to learn to trust him, to listen to his words by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we do too. Can we just pray right now, just right where you're at? Maybe dim the light there in the back, please. This is going to be a little different of a service. That's why I asked Rachel to stay up here. I want us right now to look at our hearts and ask ourselves some tough questions. Are you looking for Jesus' hand and not his face? Are you looking for God's blessings and not his heart? If that's you, then you're just looking for genie Jesus. You're not looking for Lord and Savior Jesus. If you've been looking for the wrong Jesus, would you right now just ask the Lord to forgive you and to set your heart back on the real Jesus? Because too many of us in Christianity, we're going for the next experience, the next thing. We're not realizing that it's not those things that are going to change our heart. It's God himself. And God can use a variety of experiences So stop looking for one certain kind of thing to make you feel you can trust him. Decide right now. You're going to seek his face whether or not he gives you another thing from his hand. Decide right now that you want Jesus for Jesus' sake, even if you never got another blessing. Start right there. Start right there. Jesus, help us to see you for who you are. You're the son of God, and we are to listen to you and follow your commands. And your life is not built, the God kind of life is not built upon us seeing uh, these signs and wonders in that way to convince us. It's built upon our trust in you. Come on, somebody trust Jesus today. Whether or not you ever see another miracle, another blessing, another thing happen, you're going to trust Now, at the same time, all of us know God told us to pray for signs and wonders, right? We're supposed to do this. But now I want to speak to your heart and ask you this. Are you praying just to get or are you praying out of obedience? Because, listen, there's a difference. God has told us to pray and ask for miracles. But look at your heart. Do you only know him as Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, and you don't know him as the great I am, self-sufficient in all that he is? Are you just asking to get another thing from him? Because listen, I'm a dad who pays bills, but I'm more than a dad who pays bills. I'm a dad who builds stuff, but I'm more than a person who builds stuff. You see, we just can't look at Jesus just as a healer, just as a miracle worker. Just you got to look at him for who he is first. Not just someone who does miracles for you. Come on, a few moments. Work your heart. Work this word through your heart today. Do you want to know him for who he is? Do you want to really listen to him? Or is he just the doctor you call up when you're sick? Or is he just the one that helps you when you're in trouble? Some of you are just living in Christianity for the next breakthrough, the next breakthrough, the next deliverance, the next thing. And all it is is you're just jimming. You take all you can give me. You have to settle in your heart today. It's not about me always getting something from him. And some of you might say, but what if I need it? Hold on, we'll get there. But you got to cleanse your heart 
of wrong motives. I know I need to. It's like I feel I'm on that mountain seeing Jesus and going, okay, okay, let's, let's build the tents. Let's get the mega church. Let's go, Jesus. Mega church time. And God keeps saying to me, no, storefront church time, small stage time, evangelism on a corner time. See, do you like that? See, Jesus checks my heart all the time. Are you preaching for a big crowd or are you preaching because I'm worthy of being preached about? Same thing with you. Are you being obedient so you can go to your prayer classes and go, "Uh -uh, excuse me, God, Uh, I did this and I did that and I did this. I am now calling on you for my blessing. God, check our hearts. It's not about camping out and just having that one experience. It's about learning to come off the mountain and listen to Jesus. It's about trusting him. It's about learning that life is not just about us. He's not genie Jesus. He's Lord and Savior, Messiah, King of Kings, Jesus. And lastly, now, all of us who need something from Jesus with a pure heart, would you just begin to ask him and say, God, I do need you. And I'll love you even if I die with cancer. But God, I still ask you for healing and cancer. God, I'll serve you if I preach to a storefront church to the day I die. But God, I ask for 100,000. God, I'll love you even if all my children go to hell and never come back to serve you. But God, would you save them? Do you see the difference? Who's your Jesus? Who's your Jesus today? Is he just someone who proves himself to you so you can get what you want? Or are you serving the real Jesus, listening to him, making life about him, revolving around him like he's the center gear of your wheel and it's spinning around him today? A few moments, let's talk to him from the right heart. I challenge you to ask him to do what only he can do because you trust him either way. Whether I live or die, I'm going to serve you, Jesus. Rachel, would you sing just a little bit while we pray? I know I need to do this today. Hallelujah. Take away our false visions of you. Let us be committed to you no matter what we go through. And help us to trust you with our requests. A few more moments right now. Come on, let's go. Let's go to that mountain with him and see him for who he is. Thank you, Lord. When I talk about seeing Jesus, and I'm not just talking about you using your imagination to see somebody glow on a mountain. I'm talking about you praying to see God show up in your family. Because when God restores your marriage, that's him showing you he's the son of God. When he restores your relationship with your children or children with your parents, that's him showing you his glory. When he changes your life, turns it right side up, delivers you from addictions, I'm telling you, that is him coming in his power and glory. And of course, if you have a visitation or a dream or a vision, he's showing you his glory. But we're not going to live on mountaintops. we got to learn to listen to him and get back down to where things have to be done, where we have to trust him. A few more moments. I trust you, Jesus. Even when I don't see you, I trust you. Even when I don't feel you, I trust you. I trust your word. If you prepared over 4,000 years to come the first time, I'm going to sit here and wait if it takes another 4,000 years for you to come back the second time. Hallelujah. 
If it took 30 years of your ministry preparation to have three years that changed the world, God, I'll do this for 30 years for the best three years of my life to happen at the end. We're not in a hurry, Jesus. We're not coming here demanding. We're not asking for it to be done like a microwave. We're asking for a heart to trust you, that you know what we need at the right time, that you are in the midst of our hardships. Help us, God, to trust you. Can I hear an amen to that? Feel free to keep praying, but I want to end out with just a few things to think about. When Jesus was on that cross, because remember, he tied together this transfiguration to the cross. He says, don't tell anybody because I have to go to the cross. When he was on that cross, did they see him glow? No. They provoked him. Hey, if you're the king, come on, do something. Get off the cross and then we'll worship you. Jesus showed us that he was willing to become nothing so that he could die for us so that we could have everything that we need. And now I want to ask you, are you willing to let go of things in your life to serve God? Are you willing to let go of what people think about you? Philippians says he was God, but yet he took the form of a servant. He let go of all of his privileges as God. He took no reputation. And Paul said, let that same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. I pray, listen, saints, I pray that we never take our privileges and our blessings as Christians and make them idols. Because how dare I now say, I'm too busy to serve God. I've got six children. I'm too busy to serve God. I'm pastoring a church. I mean, wouldn't that be just ungrateful? Because who gave me the children? Who gave me the church? Why would I now say I'm all busy with these things that, God, I can't pray today. God, I I can't go hard and sacrifice today because, you know, I got too many things to do. It's almost like you can hear God knocking on our head a little bit. Hello, anybody in there? Where would you get all those things to do? Who gave you all of those blessings? How dare we now make idols out of the blessings of God? Let us lay down our lives for Jesus. I'm not saying be half-hearted and irresponsible. I'm saying let's make real sacrifices that have eternal benefits. So here's an example. I want to see Jesus with my children. So I do ministry with my children. I do devotions at my house with the children. I support them in their goals of career and sports and all of that. But I want them to know that God always comes first. And guess what? It's not always easy. But when I do those things, I see Jesus in my family. I hear my children singing worship songs on their own that they've learned at church. I see my son, like the story I told you, going to the park and telling others about Jesus. What's it going to look like in your family? What's it going to look like on your job? And let me end with the good part here. The good part is that's who Jesus is right now, the one that they saw a taste of. And that's the one that's going to come back and reward us. And so I hope on that day, You and I get rewarded for believing what he was and who he was and what he did. I hope that on that day we don't go, oh, now I believe. No, we come to that day getting rewarded for the things we did because of what we believed. And by the way, let me just say this. Everybody believes in something. 
the person right now at downtown burning the midnight oil to get ahead for Monday, what do they believe? They believe their hard work's going to be rewarded. They believe that. The person today doing whatever they're doing on their job, going for overtime, they believe that. The person living together with their boyfriend or girlfriend, they think that makes them happy. They do it because they believe that. We as Christians need to do some things because of what we believe. I believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that he walked among us. He died for us. I believe that he rose again and he sent the Holy Spirit. I believe greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Closing scripture. Go to 2 Corinthians, please. Chapter 5, verse 16. How many know 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 by heart? Somebody say it out. Therefore... That's right. Do you know what 16 says? That's right. Man, you a scholar, brother. Does anybody else know what it is? That's why we're going to put it on the board. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Isn't it awesome when you see scriptures that have changed your life in their context and it totally opens up your mind to new things? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. As a matter of fact, let's go up to verse 11. Because I think you guys will see the context here. Go all the way up to verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. So Paul is saying, I know God's going to come and judge us. i got to try to persuade you to get ready for this. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. So I hope you know who I am, he's saying. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. So he's saying as a leader, I know sometimes you don't think I'm the greatest apostle and others are trying to manipulate you to get your money, but I hope you can see what's in my heart. Now look at verse 13. If we are out of my mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Somebody say, Christ's love compels us. Thank you, because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. So when Christ died, he died for all of us so that we don't live in our sins. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who should live, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So if you're a Christian, you don't live for yourself. You died with Jesus on the cross. Now you live for Jesus. Look at verse 16. For now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We all see Jesus as what? White Jesus on a cross, blonde hair, blue eyes. You know, little skinny, emaciated Jesus. He looked nothing like that. Are you listening to me? He looked more like Denzel Washington than he did like Brad Pitt. Can I get an amen? And he was more masculine than he was some skinny little guy. He was a carpenter, okay? But we all think of Jesus like that. And the Bible's literally telling you, don't think about Jesus from a worldly point of view. Or even when he was on the earth and he had skin and bad breath and hair and a beard. Don't think about him like that. We used to think about him like that, but we don't any longer. We think about him now with eyes aflame of fire, with hair like wool, and his feet burned like bronze, and a sword coming out of his mouth. We see him as the son of God. Are you listening? Not just the son of man shaped like us, you know. But if you can get that about Jesus, come on. Remember I said metamorphosis, transformation, transfiguration, transfiguration, transformation. It's all the same thing. How does it now apply to us in closing? 
We saw him go from man to God. Like, like how you see one of those stickers where it goes like that and you can see it change. You ever seen those kind of stickers where you see it change? It's like a duck in one picture and a dog in the other because a little 3D thing going on there. We saw him as a man. We saw him go to the glorious son of God. The Bible says, now, therefore, if you're in Christ, the new creation has gone. You, come. You have now gone from sinner to saint. As he went from man to deity in front of them, you go from sinner to saint. As much as we believe he was God in the flesh, you are now a saint in the flesh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Where's the new? Right here. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. Come on, somebody. We love you, Lord. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? How many believe you're new? Let's raise up our hands. Come on.